0: Welcome to the Principles of Success podcast. This is your host, Dr. Shana Henry. This podcast is for current or aspiring female school leaders and those who are supportive of their journeys. Each week, we will hear from passionate educational leaders. I will also share my reflections from over 15 years as a school leader. Together, we will talk about how to level up our schools and our leadership. Hello and welcome. Today I'm talking with principal and author Allison Apsey, and trust me when I say this episode is going to give you pause and opportunity for reflection. Allison and I chat about taking care of the whole teacher, creating a need-satisfying environment, and the life-changing research that set the groundwork for these areas. After you listen, make sure to share this episode. Let's get started. Allison, thank you so much for being here. I'm delighted to have you on the show.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited to to meet you and to have this conversation. So thank you for having me.
0: Yes, this was a hard one to get scheduled, but it just meant that we had to have this conversation.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Well worth the wait.
0: Yes. So let's get right into it and have you tell us more about you and your path to site leadership.
1: Oh, okay. I am an elementary principal in Zealand, Michigan. I grew up in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area. And I did not want to become a teacher because I did not like school. I graduated from high school thinking I don't ever want to step foot in a K-12 institution again. In fact, I'd rather not go to school <laughs> ever again. But I didn't, I couldn't think of something I wanted to do that wouldn't entail going to college. So I did end up going to college mm-hmm. for business. I was in an educational psychology class by chance because a different course was dropped and I was the only person in there who didn't want to be a teacher. But I had to do the volunteer hours anyway. So I, I volunteered in my aunt's first grade classroom uh, near my house. And I fell in love with the idea of helping school be different for students mm-hmm. than it was for me. And I had great teachers I, I mean, I went to Catholic school. My parents paid for my education. It just never tapped into my passions, and relationship did not lead the way. And I could see that with these like snotty nose little first graders, I'm looking at them <laughs> and thinking. Oh, I don't want you to have 11, 12 years of torture ahead of you. <laughs> I yeah, would love to be able to be a part of a solution in providing a different kind of engaging, empowering experience for students. So that's how I, I turned course and dove into mm. becoming an elementary educator. And my path to school leadership was also kind of serendipitous <laughs> because like a happy accident. Every step of the way, that educational psychology course was a happy accident for me. Mm-hmm. The My husband and I moving a couple hours north of where we grew up to kind of branch out on our own. And I helped start a charter school in that area and became a leader because I really wanted to support the teachers in the school and doing their best work and growing. And so that the leadership my leadership just kind of evolved naturally. So my principal said, Hey, I'm going to be the superintendent. Would you like to become a principal? And I'm like, at first, I'm like, No way. I don't, I, I never saw myself as an educational leader. And then the more I thought about it and the opportunity to serve more students, to serve teachers, became really appealing to me. And I became a principal, an assistant principal at age 27 after five years of teaching. Mm. And I won't tell you how old I am. No, I don't care. I'm about to turn 45. (laughs) And so I've been a principal for a really long time.
0: Yeah. Wow. Our paths are very similar. I was a business major, became an assistant principal at 26, and then became a principal and still a principal. So we are like one of those long timers that just still love leading schools and are still doing the work. So wow, what what a small world.
1: That is incredible. I don't know that I've ever met someone with such a similar path. Yeah,
0: how crazy. So Allison, one of the things that's really important to you is about really taking care of the people in your charge. And I want to explore that with you a little bit today, because you're helping other leaders see why it's so important to provide that care and support. So I want to start with this idea of trauma-informed practices. And you say that trauma-informed practices are good For everybody. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and what you mean by it?
1: Absolutely. So I was fortunate enough to study William Glasser's choice theory early in my educational career. And one of the foundations of Glasser's choice theory is that all behavior is purposeful and that everybody is behaving to meet one or more of their five basic needs, which are love and belonging, freedom, power, fun, and survival. That we're always working toward meeting one or more of those five basic needs. And that is, and so how that plays out in a classroom, I learned as a young teacher, if students are, are acting out to try to meet one or more of those five basic needs, we have an opportunity to create an environment that helps them meet their needs within the functions of what we're asking them to do. And so often in a classroom, we're not providing the opportunity for freedom or sometimes our students who struggle the most feel really powerless. They're not successful academically. They struggle with relationships. And that's that passion for creating a need satisfying environment and helping everyone in the classroom meet their needs within the functions of what we ask them to do really was kind of a beautiful lead into this idea of trauma informed practices. As I learned more about how to support students who have experienced trauma and helping them with emotional regulation helping them pause and problem solve rather than go to that fight flight or freeze right we we mm. all need that support our trauma informed students need that support on a regular basis but you know having a place in the classroom where i can get away and utilize some strategies to self regulate like that's not just for trauma students they'll need it more They'll need it frequently, but we have other students within our classrooms who may be the quiet students who are suffering from anxiety, mm-hmm. or we may have students who um, it just are you know just have various needs and all of those practices that we put into place that to support our trauma, our students who have experienced trauma, all of our students can access and benefit from.
0: Yeah. So as I'm hearing you talk, I'm I'm thinking we know trauma informed practices as a response to students going through it, but I'm listening to you and I'm thinking they could also be preventative. Oh yeah. If I'm hearing you right.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. It, we've really focused on setting up trauma informed classrooms. So when we look at our classroom environment, just thinking like what might be triggers for particular students, how can we support them with peer to peer relationships? How can we develop trusting relationships with adults when they maybe haven't experienced trusting relationships with adults all their lives? How can we provide them with tools to help with that emotional regulation? How can we give them time and space to process their feelings? You know, I have a, I have a little one who will come to the office, just needing some support. And the first thing I give him is this really like tough putty. Because like that physical action of working through that putty really helps him calm down, regulate his emotions, and Mm. then be ready to problem solve. And we have students with really prickly behaviors. And if we provide them with these supports and with space and time, and if we're consistent with them, we can prevent some of the, the crisis situations for sure.
0: Yeah. And I love that it's individualized at the same time too. So sometimes we get that list of strategies and we feel we have to make everyone apply to those strategies, but really it's the other way around, finding what works for each individual person.
1: In, in, and yeah, that's exactly what it is. And we have this tool belt, but like we exit college with this, I just picture like, you know, like Tim Allen from Tool Time, whatever, like this tool belt of all these <laughs> things we can whip out and try, but really trauma-informed practices is just putting new tools in all the time based on what our students need. Right. And that tool might help, you know, student B and it might benefit student A or student A might need something we've never even thought of, but that the idea of thinking outside what we are traditionally taught is so inform- important to trauma-informed yeah. practices.
0: Absolutely. So I want to switch to the the people in the classroom, the teachers and You talk about taking care of the whole teacher. So what does that mean to you?
1: Teachers are people, too. And they have those five basic needs that we talked about. I, in my mind, apply William Glasser's choice theory, but we can apply so many different theories to really look at how do we take care of the whole person. So when I look at Glasser's choice theory and that our, our teachers have these five basic needs. They have a need for survival, and they need to feel safe in the environment. They have a need for love and belonging and connection. They have a need for freedom, for power, and for fun. And Glasser teaches us that we all have varying levels of these needs. We're born with varying levels. So we have some teachers who have a high need for love and belonging, and they're going to spend free time throughout the day connecting with other adults in the building we have teachers who have high needs for freedom and they might spend their free time planning and getting ready for the next day rather than out and about and connecting with others because they they want to have freedom at the end of their day to go take care of you know their family or our personal things so just really again looking at every teacher as an individual understanding that if we want school to be a safe, need-satisfying place for the adults in the building, we have to apply those same strategies and practices that we provide children to teachers. Like in our school, we have a Zen zone, which is like a dream come true. We had an empty office this year, and we just created it to be an oasis for teachers So they can go in there and we have a sign that says, well, with social distancing, there's a capacity of two, but we have a sign that you can put, you know, occupied on the outside or you can put a friend is welcome if you'd invite another staff member to join in. Or if it's open, you know, we have the open sign on the outside and there's, it's a spa like feeling, comfortable chairs, aromatherapy, just a really peaceful, beautiful environment. And there are teachers who utilize that support every single day because they they need that to refuel themselves and recenter themselves in that way. And there are teachers who never use the Zen Zone, but knowing that there is a space there if they need it, like even to make a phone call in a completely private spot, you know, for nursing moms, a place to go and pump, you know, whatever our teachers need, I want to be able to provide that because if, if they're... In a need-satisfying environment, if they're finding joy in their work, that translates to students. It just it just multiplies it in their interactions with students.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, the concept of the need-satisfying environment, now, some things we see from our teachers, we, we can obviously just see with our eyes what they need. But how are some other ways you find out really genuinely what are the needs of your staff members so that you can respond to that?
1: That's something that I'm working on. All the time. Yeah. One thing, (laughs) and just, I think really we need to hit that communication in multiple ways. Mm. One thing that we started last year, and this was really born out of a conversation with teachers, we we do daily check-ins with our students. We actually do it twice a day, and it's through a Google form, and they just check in first thing in the morning and tell us how they're feeling emotionally, how they're feeling physically, and if they need anything. And then we do it again after they come back from lunch. In in a conversation with a teacher, one of my teachers said to me, you know, I, I just wonder, like, could staff members use that same kind of check-in? And so we developed a weekly check-in on Monday morning. I send a Google form out that just says, how are you doing? And, and how are you looking ahead to, to the week? And what do you need from me in order to do your best work? And I have teachers who regularly communicate with me via that check-in. I have some teachers who don't do the check-in. They just, they just don't do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So my check-in with them needs to be face-to-face or in a different kind of way or sending individual notes or individual emails. The best place to be for a principal is out and about and not in our office. And this year I feel a little bit tethered to the office in a way I haven't really ever felt because I want to provide support with all of the COVID uh, protocols and restrictions and communication that needs to happen. Our front office staff needs a lot of support this year. And plus, we've had a transition with front office staff. So I've been in the office probably more than ever. So, But I I definitely make a a conscious choice to be out and about and checking in with teachers as much as possible. That face-to-face connection is crucial.
0: Yeah. So I want to ask about the path to serendipity. Tell us more about that.
1: The idea of having a serendipity mindset is that we all benefit from looking for happy accidents in nearly everything we experience. And by, by everything we experience, I'm talking about, you know, our, our joys beyond our imagination and like grief and sorrows that we never anticipated. All of those experiences and everything in between, they provide us with beautiful gifts if we look for them. And that, That's the, the concept, and then the, the path to serendipity is really just learning and growing and having that mindset of, I want to make others' lives better because of my existence, and I have this opportunity to grow and learn and get better every day. I am enough right now, but I have this desire to just improve incrementally, inch by inch, every single day, and be a light in the life of others, and that—that that is the path to serendipity.
0: Yeah, and you—you you created some tools for educators. So, do you want to share a little bit about what you have
1: available? Sure. Do you mean in the the path to serendipity in the book itself?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of tools, I think, in, in the path to serendipity. And then the follow up to that is through the lens of serendipity. So the, the book, the path to serendipity is really more of like an interpersonal reflection. And I share a lot of stories. And the goal through sharing their stories is for the reader to make connections to their own lives. And I write very informally because that's my, those are my favorite types of books to read is, stories and adding in like little bits of humor (laughs) and a little bit of humor that I added in, I hope (laughs) you think it's funny, into the path to serendipity is a few advertisements. And one of those advertisements is for an emotions deflector. And that's the idea of others' emotions don't have to get in to my heart, to my day. We all have yours in our lives, right? So So people who every time we approach, they could just crush our souls. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the idea of the emotions Mm -hmm. deflector is we put this like (laughs) rubberized patch on and their emotions just bounce right off of us. We can empathize for sure and support them and be loving, but we don't have to take on the emotions of others. And just a funny example is in the car with my husband. Like, I am, I have zero road rage most of the time. Like, if I get upset driving, it's a super unusual situation because I'm like, red lights happen. Like, people cut me off. That just happens. (laughs) But my husband, on the other hand, <laughs> he thinks like red lights should never happen and everybody should drive with, you know, <laughs> understanding, you know, his desire to get to from A to B really fast. And so like he would, you know, just be demonstrative with some of those emotions. And you could let that kind of infiltrate you and put you in a bad mood. Mm-hmm. But I really consciously put on that emotions deflector and let that bounce off me. And that's just a silly little example. But in a classroom, often we say, you know, there's one child who's going to set the tone of the day in that classroom. That's turning a lot of power over to one child. And if we had our emotions deflector on as adults, could we compartmentalize the, the behavior and emotions of that one child and allow ourselves to set the tone for the classroom and the feel for the classroom? And how can we utilize supports around us to make sure that that happens? So there's lots of implications for the emotions deflector.
0: Yeah, I love that. So I'm curious, Allison, how has this
1: work changed you as a leader? That's a huge question because the person who benefits the most from my writing and reflecting and connecting with educators across the country it's me. Mm. I have to practice what I preach. I was so scared because the path to serendipity was my first book. I kind of dreamed of being an author for my whole life in some ways, but like never really thought that was could be a reality for me. It was like a kind of a dream beyond my imagination, and then. When it came time to putting the path to serendipity out to the world, I'm like, oh, my gosh, what if I'm grumpy one day and somebody comes up to me and, like, you're the author of the path to serendipity and you're grumpy? Or what (laughs) if I make a mistake? Like, I'm putting this work out to the world and I'm like, what if my life implodes? Like, And I even, like, wrote that in my introduction to the path to serendipity. And it was a real fear. And I handed that book to people I love and trusted and asked them, like, is this a reflection of me? Like when I share these stories about our childhood or about our lives, like, can you, is this, is this fiction or is this fact? Because in my mind, it's, it's mostly fact. <laughs> there are like, I, I always stick a few fictional stories into my works and I identify when they're fiction, but the people who know me and love me said, yes, that's you. And so then I felt, you know, a little bit more confident with putting it out to the world and, with each, as I continued blogging and as I continued writing, it's it's not about me. It's about the concept of helping others live their best lives. And if I can do that through writing a blog post or writing a book or speaking or the face-to-face interactions that I have every day at Quincy Elementary, like what a blessing to me. I learn and grow through every one of those Experiences and I have to practice what I preach and become a better version of myself every single day. And I think it's ultimate accountability when you're public with your thinking. And that was really scary at first, but it ultimately is an incredible blessing to me as a person and as a leader.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that. Allison, if you were to give our listeners some take action steps, what could they try right away if they wanted to start embedding this type of philosophy on their campus? Maybe two or three things.
1: Sure. I think while you could read the path to serendipity, there's a shameless plug, but a take (laughs) action would be, and and if this podcasts and what i'm sharing speaks to you that is a a resource because there are lots of tools in the path to serendipity and then through the lens of serendipity is this idea of how can we turn that idea of i'm looking for serendipity in my own life on everyone around us and how can we support everyone around us in living their best lives even if life has thrown them its worst and there's lots of tools embedded in through the lens of serendipity. And then there's a couple books that I've written that are geared toward children. And one is the Princes of Serendip, and that's a picture book. And then the other is the Serendipity Journal, and that's a middle grades realistic fiction chapter book. And that takes many of these ideas I'm, I'm sharing right now, like choice theory and um, the five basic needs, like really what's within your control, and places it in a in a hopefully compelling. A fictional story that that students can really relate to. So that would be one. The other is really focusing in on how can I help everyone around me feel like their lives are just a little bit better because I'm part of it. I am struggling this year with the divisiveness and with just really wanting to change the world in so many different ways, whether it's equity, diversity, and inclusion, or it is like this political divisiveness we have, I want to change the world. And it is it is frustrating because there's so much that's not in our control. But one thing that is in our control every single day is how others feel around us and how others feel about our presence in their lives. And if we just focus in on that, I think we can feel much more satisfied, first of all, and then Mm -hmm. obviously have this huge impact, this huge opportunity to make an impact, a positive impact on the lives of those around us.
0: Right. Absolutely. Thank you. So Allison, one way we end our podcast every episode is with some fun rapid fire questions. So I have five for you. So we can just get to know a little bit more about you as we close out. You game for that? I'm game. Let's do it. I'm ready. All right. Favorite leadership book?
1: I'm going to say... Innovator's Mindset by George Kuros, because that was a sh- kind of a shifting book for me. It really spoke to me. I, I don't love reading books that feel like textbooks. And this, George's was the first book that I wrote that felt like a conversation, or first book that I read <laughs> that it felt like more of a conversation. And I'm just, you know, jotting down tons of relevant tools. So I would say um, Innovator's Mindset. Love it. Favorite app? The podcast app on the Apple podcast app. (laughs) Because, you know, just like this opportunity to learn and grow alongside you, and then maybe the opportunity to, to impact your listeners. I listen to podcasts all the time. And sometimes they're just for pure enjoyment, like true crime podcasts. And a lot of times they're for learning and growing.
0: Yeah. How about best Amazon find for work?
1: Oh, I would definitely have to say my fanny pack with speakers. Oh, I love mine too. (laughs) (laughs) I first got, uh, I was listening to a radio show that's out of Detroit and they were talking about these, you know, young people wearing these fanny pack with speakers like for parties. And I thought, oh my gosh, I could get that and wear it around school. So I got one and and then I I found another version of it. And I mean, it's like, like creating your own musical as you walk through I know. recess or walk <laughs> through the true. halls with your favorite soundtrack, and the kids just love it. So that's my favorite find.
0: It's true. So this is great. Favorite song to put you in a good mood.
1: Oh, I love Frida Payne's Band of Gold. I mm. mean, it's kind of depressing song if you listen to the lyrics, but <laughs> it is my favorite song to like just belt out at the top of my lungs.
0: Fantastic. And last question: One tip you would tell your first year principal self
1: listen carefully. You don't have the answers often, but the answers are out there and you find them out through conversation.
0: Mm, so great. Allison, if listeners want to connect with you, where can they find you?
1: So if you know how to spell my name, you can find me anywhere. I'm <laughs> at com. You can email me at allisonapsy at gmail.com, on the Twitters, on Instagram, on Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever. I'm just Apsy everywhere.
0: Fantastic, Allison, thank you so much for this time today. I really appreciate it.
1: It has been a joy. I'm so glad we could finally make it happen. Thank you so much.
0: What a great conversation with Principal Allison Apsey. Lots of opportunities to reflect on your school and if it's a need-satisfying environment. I've put links to Allison's website over at principalsofsuccess.com. If you enjoyed this conversation with Principal Apsy, don't forget to share this episode. We also love your reviews over on iTunes. Until next time, this is Dr. Shana Henry with the Principles of Success podcast.